Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> I've noticed on the way here my voice is breaking up, <clears throat> so I apologize. Hopefully I will be able to manage uh, this morning, but the first thing I want to do is just bring you a welcome, uh, or excuse me, a, a, a greeting from our church in Neuenberg, uh, the Neuenberg International Church. This church here has been such a faithful friend and partner to us for the past 10 years. Uh, you've supported our church and our church plant, and uh, although we only get to see you every two years or so, <clears throat> uh, you guys have been such a blessing to us. In some ways, that church is your church. Uh, because you've poured and invested into it. If investment creates ownership at some level, then in some ways you own that little church there too. And so I bring you my thanks and also wel uh, a, a greeting. In German, it's the same, so it's a welcoming greeting. So I oh, thank you. So, <clears throat> again, thank you, and I will bring them also a greeting from you when I return and from some of our other churches who are standing with us in, in southern Germany. If you walk around Neuenburg, my hometown there in Germany, and you ask people what their opinion was about God, the first answer you get is, what God? What are you talking about? There is no God. You know, that's probably the most common response you would have. But of those who believe, and there still are some of those floating around there, uh, you'd probably have a very mixed uh, bag of, of responses, a variety of opinions. Some would see him as sort of a deistic presence in the universe, a spirit um, which, which has no real thing to do with us here on earth. Um, some would see him as an angry God who's ready to drop the hammer at any moment on people. Some would see him as a loving grandpa, you know, the Jesus with the long flowing blonde locks. Um, who has children on his knee. It'd be a very wide variety of um, images and pictures of who this God is. I had one woman tell me that she believed God was a burly woodsman with hairy arms who held her in his arms. And uh, I don't know where she got that from, but that was her view. So, but the point is that how you view this God, how you all here and how they there view God, has a lot to do with the way you relate to this God and how you're going to worship this God and how you talk to this God and how you obey this God. If you see God as a distant father who's not really there and present in your life, that's going to be very different than if you see him as a loving father who's engaged in your life and you're going to interact with him differently. And as Bill has already introduced, um, it seems to me, and I'm sure it seems to you if you've read your Bible even just a little bit, that one of the ways that we interact with God, one of the most common ways that we interact with God, is called fear of the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The fear of the Lord is used over 300 times in relationship to God in the Bible alone. Um, Solomon <clears throat> says that, what's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the, it's the beginning of wisdom. And then at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says the end of all things is fear of the Lord. So fear of the Lord for Solomon is the beginning and it's the end. Fear of the Lord is, to me, the most biblically consistent way that we see in the Bible to relate to this God. 
It's such a basic thing, and it's so common. It's throughout the Bible, but I feel that so few of us understand what that means. This is part of my job in Germany to explain what it means to have, you were made to have fellowship with the God, but in what way? You relate to your wife differently than to your kids, differently to your school teacher. How do you relate to this God if I can convince them that there is one? Well, it seems to me that fear of the Lord is the key to relating to your creator. But what does it mean? It's another difficult question. If I went around this room and asked what everyone <clears throat> believed fear of the Lord was, we probably have as many different answers as there are people here, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. But it's certainly a question that I, uh, I didn't really understand or a theme that I didn't understand uh, very well. I had my own views, but this passage in Exodus 14, which we just heard, Help me begin to understand <clears throat> what the fear of the Lord is and how we interact and how we respond to God with this right biblical uh, emotion. So let's look at this passage again. It's in Exodus. If you have your Bibles, I'm trying to get my church to open their Bibles. They don't bring Bibles to church in Germany. That's something that pastors have. Pastors have Bibles. So I'm trying to get them to open their Bibles and bring this. It's been very difficult. So if you have one, Open it with me, with me to Exodus 14. I'm just going to read two verses. We won't read that all. I'll just read, read two verses. The two that I want to focus on that caught my attention and helped me begin to understand what the fear of the Lord is. I'm going to read verses 30 and 31. So now you know, you've heard the whole story, how God rescued Israel in the Red Sea. And then verses 30 and 31 say this. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians were dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work of the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now did you hear that? They saw the Egyptians. They saw how God piled up the heaps of water so they could walk across on dry land. They saw their enemies swallowed up by God's mighty power. They experienced a most miraculous rescue. And then Moses says their response was to fear the Lord. Now, to me, that seems like a strange response. God just saved them hours ago. Uh, they were in a state of panic because the Egyptians were now chasing them, as we heard, 600 chariots and so forth, ready to destroy them, attack them with deadly force. They were as good as dead, and God stepped in. The bodies of highly trained warriors are bobbing in the water. Pieces of chariots are floating around nearby, and they saw all this, and instead of joy and cheering and emotional responses and chest bumping, if that's something they did back then, they feared the Lord. Now, isn't that strange? I mean, have you ever gone to the to a doctor, you know, you see something and you feel something, you go to the doctor and you fear the worst and uh, I, I do this about at least twice a year, I think I'm going to die and then the doctor says, no, it's nothing, you just totally saw that wrong, it's no problem oh, and you just are like, oh, you want to hug the receptionist on the way out, the life there's colors once again in the you're just so happy, the anxiety is gone, you're overwhelmed with joy and thankfulness, you want to hug someone why didn't Israel have that response? That's what I don't understand. It shocked me a little. God saves them from certain death. 
we would expect their reaction to be a frenzy of joy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hugging, cheering. We're alive. And yet instead, verse 31, they feared the Lord. Now, what's going on here? What's wrong with this picture? Fear does not seem to be the natural human reaction in that situation, which made me realize that maybe I don't understand the situation. Or I don't understand the fear of the Lord, which is more likely the case. I'm missing something. And I'm probably not alone, I would guess. Um, although I won't ask you to raise any hands. I think many Christians don't exactly know what the fear of the Lord is. And one reason for that confusion is the words themselves. The fear of the Lord is a compound word. My mom's here and she taught me grammar, so I'm going to be careful here. Is a compound noun a thing? Can you have a compound? Okay, all right. Um, in German, when I say that, that can just say, oh, I don't know your grammar, and they, they forgive me. But in English, I should know that. It's my own language. But it's a compound word, fear of the Lord. I had one of our professors in seminary used to say, you can't understand the word butterfly by looking at butter and flies. You won't get an idea of what a butterfly is. And the fear of the Lord is the same. That's one reason there's confusion. Fear of the Lord is its own thing. It has its own unique Meaning, it is a kind of fear, but it's unique among fears. Maybe the easiest way to begin to describe it is by explaining what it is not. When I ask Christians to describe, or even when I have in the past described the fear of the Lord, one of the first responses I get is, well, it's probably something like awe. Have you heard that before? Or, or a deep respect for who God is in admiration. But that's not a full description of the fear of the Lord. It's a part of it, but it's not all of it. Awe and admiration and respect are the lowest level of fear. Fear has many levels, and this is the lowest level. It's kind of like when you say a sailor has a healthy fear of the sea. What does that mean? It means he respects its power. He respects what it can do. He uses caution when he goes out on the sea. Uh, old sailors have seen young sailors lose ship and crew because they didn't have that healthy respect for the sea. Uh, if you walk through the woods, I, don't, I can't remember if you have deadly snakes here. I think you do. Uh, but if you walk through the woods and you see a snake, a rattler, and you hear its rattle, you, you see it and you have a healthy respect for the power, the venom, the deadliness of that snake. And so what do you do? You, you walk around, right? You have an awe, a respect for what that snake can do. And that's the kind of fear that Israel had for the Egyptians when they were leaving Egypt. They knew what was behind them. They knew what Pharaoh was capable of. They had an awe and a respect for their power. And they walked gently out of Egypt because they knew Hick, uh, uh, Pharaoh's fickle heart. Now, on one sense, we have to acknowledge that this is a part of the fear of the Lord, awe and respect. It's one ingredient. To truly fear the Lord, you must first know his power, his might, his justice. You must be aware of what he's capable of. And most people that I know, even in Germany, who are agnostics, and have at least this minimum fear of the Lord. They know enough. They've seen the stars in the sky. They've heard the thunder uh, uh, over their heads. 
you don't, even a German, even an atheist won't spit on a Bible, you know, just in case. Just in case he's out there, he must be powerful. So they, they do what you do when you see a snake in the woods. You kind of go around that. You don't, you just, I'm going to avoid that topic altogether. You, I, I won't go near you, God, if you don't come near me. They have a deep respect. They're not going to curse his name. They just kind of go around the subject. That's, that's the least level of fear. It's an admiration. That's not what they were experiencing in Exodus 14.31. It wasn't just awe and admiration. We're not there yet. A second ingredient in the fear of the Lord, <clears throat> and one that people often give as an answer, is no, it's not just respect. It's, it's real fear. It's, the word is fear. So it's terror before the Lord. This is a more intense level of fear than awe and respect. I call it the second level of fear. So the first level of fear is when you observe a mighty power from a distance. The second level of fear occurs when that mighty power is aimed at you. Okay, so when you're walking through the woods and you see that snake, that's one thing to, whoa, there's, I'm going to go around. It's another thing when that thing is jumping at you that's when respect turns into panic and terror. Okay, so a wise sailor will see a tempest on the horizon and wisely go around. That's, that's respect. But when he's in the middle of the perfect storm, that's when the sailors are, are panicking. That's when you're experiencing the second level of fear. So if we look at Israel, they're leaving Egypt. They have this sort of respect and awe of Pharaoh, what he's capable of. But as soon as they see those chariots charging over the hill is now level two. We're at level two. It went from respect to terror. And it says right here in verse 10, which, which we read earlier, <clears throat> when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So you see their level go from their fear go from level one, respect and awe, to level two, panic, and they feared greatly. Now, although this is not a popular topic in the church today, we have to acknowledge that this is also an ingredient in the fear of the Lord. It's not just awe and respect, there's a real terror before God for his holy justice. Um uh, we read earlier in Luke 12, Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing else they can do. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. I tell you, fear him. Now, I don't think he meant awe and respect. I think he meant terror, shaking your boots, fear that you're going to stand before God who can cast you into hell forever. The reality of a holy God on Judgment Day in hell should cause us to have real panicky fear. At least Jesus thought so. Um, it's possible to respect God at a distance. Wow, if he made all this, he must be pretty powerful. People feel pretty comfortable with that. But as soon as he's looking at you and condemning you to hell, that's when panic sets in. That's when you hit that next level of Fear. John described it on Judgment Day in, in, in Revelation 6. The kings of the earth and the great ones. Revelation 6. The kings of the earth and great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, everyone, slave and free, 
hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling down the rocks and the mountains upon themselves. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come and who can stand? That's not your blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus with kids on his knee. He still is that, but he's also this. And that's terrifying. So this is a pretty terrifying image. People would rather be crushed with rocks than stand before the judgment of Christ. That's not just healthy respect. This is terror and dread. <clears throat> have, you, have you guys ever heard of a guy named Ray Comfort? I'm sure you have. Ray Comfort, is that the banana man? Have you heard? Google it. You'll find everything about the banana man. He's kind of ridiculous, but he's also like... He's, he's a great apologist, and he's willing to deprecate himself for the sake of the gospel. I do respect that. But he had a book that came out, I can't remember when it was, late 80s and 90s, called Hell's Best Kept Secret. Does anyone know that? Or read it? Or seen it? Oh, yeah? Okay, a few. <clears throat> I loved it. It was really helpful. And he says, basically, that he laments the fact that the church is getting away from preaching about hell. And you know that from guys like Joel Osteen and some of these big emergent, you know, seeker-sensitive preachers because it's negative and it, it scares the children and so on, and we understand that. But he makes the point that if you don't truly understand the judgment to come, you won't fear God's justice against your sin. You'll only ever respect him, but never fear him and never seek the Savior. And we know that from Jesus who said himself in Luke 5, if you don't know you're deadly ill, you won't seek a physician. So we're not doing anybody favors by ignoring this part of the fear of the Lord. It is an aspect we have to take seriously. But we've not yet arrived at the fear of the Lord. So we got admiration and awe, respect. That's part of it. We've got fear and terror and dread. That's, that's part of what they felt in Exodus 14, 31. But we're still not yet at the fear of the Lord. These are two necessary ingredients, but there's actually a third level of fear. A third level that's even more intense than the first two. A greater emotional response than simply fear, respect, and dread. What is it? Well, let me read it again and see if you can pick out the clue. There's a clue here that, that said, aha, bells off, or light bulbs, whichever. Exodus 14:31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Now, did you hear it? It's, it's sort of hidden in plain view. They feared the Lord and believed. They believed. This is the clue to help us understand the fear of the Lord. Let me see if I can explain it this way. The first level of fear is when you see something powerful, mighty, scary, you have respect and awe. But that's from a distance. You're looking at it from a distance. The second level of fear is when that mighty, powerful thing is aimed at you. You know, our dad taught us, you know, to shoot guns. Be, have a healthy respect of the gun. Don't aim it at anybody. You know, shoot it. Respect it. Well, as soon as a gun is pointed at you, it becomes level two. Now here's terror. Level three fear is when this mighty awesome power is for you is on your side you realize that he is not against you but for you not God at a distance not God against you 
but God for you. This terrifying God is on your side and fights for you. That's the fear of the Lord. And you say, okay, I'll go with you. Now, let me put the pieces together for you in Israel. When Israelites were leaving Egypt, they had this healthy, first-level respect, fear of Egypt. Then when the army was coming after them, rank, ratcheted up to level two, terror, dread. Armies had them pressed against the water. They all thought they were going to die. It's panic. But when they saw the bodies of Egyptians floating in the sea in broken pieces of chariot, they feared the Lord, which means they saw what he would do for them, and they said, okay, we'll go with you. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says, I'll go with you into the desert, into the scary place, because who, who, what can anyone do to us? That terrifying power is on my side. It's for us. It's for me. He's for us. That's the fear of the Lord. It's a fear that trusts him and follows him because of what his mighty power will do for us when we trust him. Listen to Psalm 33:18. This is an interesting psalm. It used to confuse me a little. Maybe it confused you too. But now it makes sense. It's a great psalm. David says, <clears throat> Behold, the eye of the Lord is on him who fears, on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. You ever think like, what? Those are strange emotions to pair together. In the past, I had a hard time reconciling these truths. What does fear have to do with the love of God? I thought perfect love casts out fear. Why do we fear? That's why people are drawn to say, no, it's only admiration and respect. You can't really fear because we're loved. Perfect love drives out fear. Well, that's because we're understanding the word fear, but we're not understanding the compound word, fear of the Lord. Let me just give you a little... <clears throat> I'm sure Bill has taught you this already, but a little background into Hebrew poetry. In Psalm 33, 18, David is using <clears throat> what is known as a Hebrew parallelism, where you say something in the first clause, and then you define it or expand upon it in the second clause. And you see, once you see that, it's like everywhere in the Old Testament. It's really cool to recognize that. Well, listen to the first clause. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. So fear, okay? Got it? Who are those who fear him? Well, now comes the second clause. So he said it. Now he's going to expand upon it. On those who hope in his steadfast love. In other words, to fear the Lord is to hope in his steadfast love. Or to say it the other way around, to hope in his steadfast love is to fear the Lord. That is what the Israelites were experiencing on the far banks of the Red Sea. They'd seen his might. They'd seen his saving power, his love for them. To go to any extent, as Bill was saying in the psalm, to destroy their enemies in the most miraculous ways. They had seen his love and they were ready to follow. Listen to Psalm 40. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So this is not terror or dread by itself. This is something... He put a new song in my mouth. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Isn't that an interesting coupling? They're going to see of all these songs I'm singing about his greatness and they're going to fear him too. They're going to put their trust in the Lord. That's what Israel did. They saw that and went, okay, we trust you now. 
let's go. What, is, what, are, you gonna, what are we going to see out there that he can't take care of? That's the point. They will fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. Trusting him and following him in the desert because he's for you. Who can be against you? Okay, so what does this mean for you today as we draw to a close here? The fear of the Lord means following Christ into the desert of your marriage. And most of yours are probably fruitful, garden Edenic-like things. But some of you I know are in the desert. Well, it means following him there because you trust him. He's not going to let you down. You fear the Lord. It means following him fearlessly at work, standing for Christ in your cubicle or in, with your work, work colleagues. What should you fear? You go with him, not because you're doing it out of, you know, the gods of Egypt and the gods of uh, Greece, you know, and many of people's view of God. They do it out of fear of, oh, God's going to be angry at me. God's going to hate me. He's going to crush me. That's not what the fear of the Lord means in your cubicle at work to stand for him, to speak for him, to share your faith to your neighbor. It's because you trust him. What can happen to you? You're going to go on that mission trip, not out of fear because God's not going to love me if I don't say yes, but because what can happen to me? Malaria? Death? That's a blip on the screen if I'm eternal. The Lord loves you and he's taking care of you. And if you fear him, if you trust him, you'll go with him just like Egypt into the desert-like landscape for the next 40 years. In any challenge we face, we can trust him, we can obey, we can follow him fearlessly because we know that his mighty power is for us. Just look. I guess if I were to take it, <clears throat> take this Old Testament story and sense and put it in a New Testament context, I'd say, look at the empty tomb and fear the Lord. Now, if I had said that when I first got up here, you'd think, what's he talking about? Maybe. But now you get it. If he did that, that's a much greater enemy than Egypt and Pharaoh. Death is the greatest of enemies. And he rose up on the third day and destroyed death. Look at the tomb and fear the Lord. Go with him. What can man do to you? Our Christ arose from the dead. If he did that for us, don't you think... He will never let us down. Don't you think we can live fearlessly? That's the fear of the Lord. All right, let me recap and then close. There are several kinds of fear we experience in this life. We've, we've tasted most of these. But the fear of the Lord is something unique. The first level of fear we experience in this life is awe, respect, admiration. When we encounter something mighty, powerful, glorious from a distance. Bill and I were Michael Jordan fans. We, we all respected him at a distance. We never met him. Well, he did. I never did. But from a distance. Wow, it's amazing what he can do. We all experience that at some level. But if a, if a powerful, mighty, scary thing is now aimed at you, it's that next level of terror. Both of these things are ingredients in the fear of the Lord, but you're not there until you know that that mighty power is for you. What can man do to you? What can death do to you? He loves you and rose from the, get, the dead to rescue you from hell. When you know a God like that, then you will not simply admire Jesus, nor will you run from him, but you will run to him and go with him where he leads. 
That's why the term fear of the Lord is so often connected to keep his commandments. Have you ever wondered that? Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. What's the deal with that? It's everywhere. Because you keep his commandments because you trust him. You fear him in that sense, not in the Greek God sense. You fear him and you trust him and so you go with him. Unfortunately, many Israelites turned away from God in the desert. They lost the fear of the Lord. They feared death. They feared starvation. And they turned back in their hearts and they didn't reach the promised land. But why? Why did they question his plan, his love, his power, when they saw that all that God did in the Red Sea? Brothers and sisters, we also must continue with Christ. We've seen what he's done in Golgotha. We've seen what he's done on Easter morning. Do you think he'll let you die in the desert? Some of you are probably in the desert right now. Deserts of fear, deserts of doubt, deserts of guilt, deserts of despair. My brothers and sisters, fear the Lord. Remember what he's done on the cross and in the resurrection. Keep your eyes on him. Hebrews chapter 12. So let's go this week. Let's leave this place fearing the Lord and believing you know, we can live fearlessly because we fear the Lord. Isn't that an interesting thing? Why He says, that whole passage we read from Luke, don't worry about all that stuff. Fear me. Don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. Fear me. What's that mean? I got you. I'll take care of you. We can live fearlessly because we fear the Lord. We're in awe of his power. We're in terror of his judgments. But most of all, we're in love with his gospel. And we entrust ourselves to him. So, as you go back to your deserts, and I don't know what those may be, fear the Lord. Don't be afraid of the desert. Walk with him. On the other side is the promised land. Amen.